everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I think we have a really good treat. It's Mike, one of our house fellows at um, Alice Cook House. It's Mike Bishop, and our theme for this semester is reflection. So I'm really excited, Mike, to hear about your reflections of like any time in your life, your reflection of this time going on, how it parallels anything. I think in general, what we really want to get is that uh, students and other listeners get to hear this and realize that sometimes reflections aren't easy. Sometimes you come to conclusions that aren't easy. Uh, sometimes you structure your life. Sometimes you get disciplined with reflection. So there are a lot of ways that reflection can be beneficial to our lives, even if it's just cathartic. Um, so yeah, do you want to like introduce yourself so we can get started? It's great to be with you, Beulah. Uh, Mike Bishop, I'm director of strategic partnerships and co-curricular learning at the David M. Einhorn Center for Community Engagement. I've been working at Cornell for about six years. I live outside of town, raising a family. I have a couple of girls I'm raising. I'm very active in my local community. And I'm also a graduate student at Cornell while working full-time in development sociology. So it, it's a busy life and there's a lot happening, that's for sure. And I'm just so happy to be with you and for all the folks listening out there, um, hope you get at least something out of this a little bit anyway. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, like we're super excited to have you. And um, yeah, you do have a lot going on. That's a, that's a huge life. You're really busy. I really <laughs> appreciate you making time for this. Like um, this is really exciting. So inside of your life, it being really busy, do you actually have to make intentional time to reflect or do you find that you are just doing this while you're doing something else that doesn't maybe need as much of your mind? Usually while I'm doing something else. And so while, and it typically involves moving my body in some way. I love to garden. So I'm fortunate that I have uh, a little bit of, of, of property that I'm stewarding that I'm able, whenever I'm outside, weeding, uh, building a garden bed, taking down my greenhouse. That helps me clear away a lot of the clutter. Uh, I haven't uh, worked out or had a lot of physical exercise in my life, I tend to rationalize that by saying, well, I'm, I'm lifting 50 pound bags here to, to get from here to there, or I'm, I'm raking, I'm working my arms. But typically it's when I am moving my body and the rest of my, I guess, um, conscious thoughts drift away. And oftentimes I'm, I'm left with things that, that surface and then float away. Um, so that's, that's most of the time that I'm reflecting. I should also say, I, I do reflect, I'm a reflective person naturally. And so whether it's while I'm working with students or working with alumni in my paid work, that often leads me to reflect on the same questions that I'm posing to alumni or students, whether I'm doing my anti-racist organizing and we are reflecting together as a collective about how we're doing, are we on the right path? And then even in my graduate program with some amazing fellow graduate students, when we have a chance to sit and reflect, whether it's in class or over a meal. And so there are some, I guess, built-in spaces, depending on the activity I'm doing as well, where I, I spend some intentional time reflecting. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Um, so with all that intentional reflecting, do you find, so I guess first I wanted to say that it sounded really meditative, what you do, well, like sort of the thoughts that come and that you let pass by um, while you're gardening, but also, does it feel like work if you're reflecting so much as part of your job, like as part of your career? Does it ever feel like, like, does it ever feel like you're doing work again when you're doing it on your own? 
That's a really good question. It doesn't, it hasn't for me yet. And maybe that's because I, I am an introvert. I get a lot of energy from being inside my head. I, I tend to be the type of person whenever I walk out of a conversation and I think, oh, I should have said X, Y, or Z. I didn't say that. And so I do constantly think about the ac activities I've been involved with. It's interesting you mentioned meditation because it is a practice I return to every now and, and then almost more as like a, a tune-up. I don't meditate regularly, but there are times where I do feel like I'm trying to live a pace of life that's too quick for myself and meditating really helps slow me down and keep me in the moment. Um, and so unlike email, I will say email, yes, I'm on it all the time. And then when I get home, I don't wanna be on email anymore. Um, I find reflection actually to be energy giving. So, I, and that's something that I often speak with students about the difference between activities that are energy draining and energy giving. And I just happen to be built perhaps in a way that by reflecting, I find energy. And so after reflecting, I'm left with more energy than when I started. Oh, okay. That's really cool. So when you say like um, that you return to meditation as sort of like a tune-up, how do you notice what happens to you to make you notice that you're moving too quickly or the pace is not good for you anymore? It, are they like signs or behaviors or like can other people notice them in themselves? What does it feel like? Stuff like that. I pay attention to my body. And so two things. One, I, I start to see that my breathing gets really shallow. And it may just be in my day to day where I realize, well, I'm holding a lot of anxiety. I'm not getting full breaths. So that's, that's something that really is a signal to me that I need to pause and an extended pause, whether it's 20, 25 minutes. Similarly, for me, when, when my, my mind starts running away from me, like one thought, then another thought, then another thought. And it's almost as if they're just coming up and I'm, I'm not doing anything with them. It's, it, and so typically I'm finding like, wow, I'm, I'm running too quickly here inside. This internal dialogue is going too fast. And so that, along with paying attention to my body, tends to be the, the two signals I pay attention to when I, when I need to um, spend a little bit of time meditating. Now, you know, I might be better off doing it more consistently and not just when I, when I need to do it. Uh, that's the practice that I've adopted right now. And that tends to work for me. Um, so it might be a couple of months in between times where I'm sitting and meditating and just following my breathing. Um, I will also say this may sound strange, but I, I started drinking a lot more water. And so uh, about two months ago, uh, I didn't make a New Year's resolution, but I thought, okay, I'm going to try to create this new practice for myself. I'm going to drink several glasses of water every day. And what I started to do was a 16, 18 ounce glass of water of drinking it all at once. And so what that's done for me is it's forced me to breathe in and out while I'm drinking. And so even that I found, it's like, okay, I'm going to count that as a time, those 30 seconds where I'm slowly downing that glass of water as time where I'm pausing. I'm either, um, you know, thinking of uh, doing some gratitude, thanking the water that's going into my body. And so that pause has been really useful those three to five times a day just by hydrating, but also it's been sort of a, a reflective meditative practice for me. Oh, that's really cool. So I'm curious, do you drink water throughout the day, like sip on it, or the only times you drink water are the times when you're practicing? The only times now that I do is, is when I either 
Uh, if I have a full Nalgene, I'll say, okay, I'm going to drink half of this right now, right? And I'll do it um, all, almost all at once or half of the bottle at one time. And, and that's what forces me as I'm trying to breathe in and out while taking, you know, I don't lower the bottle from my lips. So I keep breathing in and out while I'm drinking. And that has helped me, it forces me, right? To like slow down my breathing while I'm drinking. Um, and that's something that has been new for me, but I, I used to ride the bus back and forth to work uh, pre-COVID. And I've always found the bus going to and from work as a time to sit and watch the world go by and, and decompress. And so now what passes for that are uh, a few water breaks a day. Oh, that's so cool. I kind of want to try that because I think I, I sip a lot of water throughout the day, but I don't know that I'm even being intentional about drinking water. I'm just like, oh, I'm thirsty. I want to do that. So I do have a, another question about this pace thing because you have such a full life and it seems like your schedule, your life is like really um, full. Like you have a lot of things inside of your schedule. So the pace thing, is not really those it's not really outside right it sounded like a lot of the pace is your own inside internal dialogue is there a way that you can never tell that something around you is speeding you up on the inside and such and maybe you need to like remove yourself from that or outside because I'm wondering right like when we're all in school we have to take these courses that we have to take to get whatever degree that we want to get and we have to do other things but how do we pick what makes us happy and, and excited. And so maybe sometimes that's not, that feels fast, but also not anxious, which also feels fast on the inside. Is there a way to sort of determine that? And are there external factors? I feel like I just asked a lot of questions, but hopefully that makes sense. It does make sense. So there is that internal uh, ordering, I guess, or, or noticing of awareness that is important for me. <clears throat> awareness of the thoughts that come up, awareness of some of the assumptions I'm making. And at the same time, there's an external piece for me. I, I try to stay attuned to the seasons. And so I, it, it is striking to me that the seasonal calendar is directly opposite our academic calendar. So as we uh, approach the end of this academic year, it's spring and life is just beginning, right? And, and I think of spring as a time where there's a lot of energy coming up through the earth. There's a lot of new life. And so, but here on, on campuses, we're putting th some things to bed. And so it is opposite in that way. And that's just something that strikes me that I try to think more in terms of that at astronomically, right? Like where we are in the seasons. Um, and that has helped me actually maintain some balance. And I have a visual cue, Beulah, I'm gonna share with you. I haven't shared with many people that um, my facial hair changes with the seasons. So that whenever I look in a mirror, I am reminded when this, I have this little patch on my chin, that it's springtime. Uh, for summer, I'll be completely shaven. For the fall, I'll grow a beard. And for winter, I'll have like a little uh, Klondike, whatever that is, right? The, so that, just that daily reminder, when I look in the mirror and see like, all right, so this is the energy that is out there in the wider world. This is the energy that's on college campuses and how to try to square that I think is, is one of the questions I tend to have. And so when I'm working with students, especially say at the end of a, this time of year, a student comes in very agitated, I'm trying to meet that energy knowing like, well, there's a lot that's just coming up in the world right now and a lot of energy out in the world. 
And so that helps me meet that student in a way that I hope is useful to talking with that student. Um, so I know you asked some other questions too about uh, like this place can be anxiety inducing. There's always more to do. And one of the ways, as I've, as I've mentioned already, that it's helped me with everything that I'm doing, and this doesn't always work out, of course, there are some things I have to do that are, that are draining. There are some things I have to do that really speed up, speed up my tempo. And yet where I can, and I've been through these exercises before of tracking for a week at the end of every day, which activities gave me energy, which activities left me with less energy. And I think that's really key because I can be really busy and still be energized. And I could be not so busy and completely lack energy if the activities I'm doing aren't speaking to what I'll call my sense of purpose or where I see myself living into the talents and what I love doing and, and, um, and what I think my community needs me to do. That is so cool. I actually think that I'm going to start practicing that and noticing. Yeah, because like, Sometimes I don't do anything all day and I am like exhausted. And um, sometimes I'll talk to my best friend and she'll say, I need a break from taking a break. And like, we laugh about it, but sometimes you don't do anything all day and like you need a break. And this is during the summer, everyone. I do not do nothing during the semester. I do not not do nothing during the semester. Um, so that's really cool. I think I want to notice that too. Like the activities that I do that I like doing that make me feel whatever feeling, whether that's drained or energized or happy or sad or included, in inclusive, that's really cool. So I guess I want to know now, like if I want to, if, if maybe meditating is hard for me or um, just making myself sit down feels like a waste of time, even though I know it's healthy and I know I get a chance to reflect, how do you, I go about finding activities that are like your gar like gardening for you. Like, how do I find this thing that helps me like sort of detach from my conscious thoughts? And maybe I'm doing something else, but I get to engage with like my subconscious and I get to reflect on what has happened and how I'm feeling and sort of interrogate myself in a really kind way. Um, how do I find activities that facilitate that for me? I think part of that is not locking in too quickly. You know, part of it is exploring. And so uh, am, I, am I being curious? Um, and, and, and time after time, when I've been curious and I put myself in a space, like, oh, do I really have time for this? Or is that really my thing? And then I go, and then I've met my mentor, like for life, they're, they're sharing, right? In this meeting that I, I uh, when living in, in the Oakland Bay area, uh, working at UC Berkeley, uh, Katrina had just hit New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina, and it, there was a Katrina Solidarity Network. And I saw, oh, that, that's in San Francisco. I'm in Oakland. Maybe I'll go across the bridge and I'll, but you know, I'm getting off of work. It's an hour there. I'll get back late. So there's a lot of reasons that I go through in my head, like why I shouldn't do this. And then the times that I do think about when I have put myself out there, I've been curious, I put myself in a space that's new to me. I found that like, wow, that's, there's something to that. And sometimes going with a friend helps. Sometimes having that you know, accountability partner or someone who you can uh, jog with or exercise with or um, go to a community meeting with so it's not just you alone. And, and that's something that I found after, after exploring and trying many different things, many different outdoor activities. Uh, I know I'm not a cross-country skier, for example. Okay, I've tried that. 
that's that's not for me. I my I my I don't see my body moving in that way. But canoeing, wow, I never really canoed before. I didn't grow up outdoors, but I just fell in love with it after I tried it, and it became something my partner and I did together, which we really enjoyed. So I think with all these activities, the question that tends to come up is, do I have time? I don't have time for that, right? Or I'll have I'll do that at, when the semester ends. And I think that is such um, it's it's easy to fall to be lured into that, and I do think that a consistent practice. I used to be doing a lot around leadership. I think leaders have a practice, doctors practice, attorneys practice. I think we need to adopt practices for ourselves and not just about self-care. And I'm happy to talk about collective care versus self-care, but what is it that I can do consistently? And that actually, while it might feel like, do I have another two or three hours to commit to this or that project? Actually, when I do, I feel more connected to my community. I have more energy to do the other things that, that are energy sucking because those things are out there. Um, and so that's one way, and I know I've rambled a little bit here, but being active in my communities has always been my way of creating connections and being social. And even though I'm, I tend to be a political creature that when I, when I did pull back from some of my community commitments, I felt it, I felt, I. In, in, my, in my body, in my spirit, that I didn't feel as closely connected to those around me. And so my one remaining community commitment is so important to me, even though it is another three to five hours each week, because it creates that sense of connection for me with those in my local community. I think that last part really, 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 really resonates with me. Um, I don't remember really being a volunteer before I was like 16. And then I went to the Texas Academy of Math and Science. So like I left home to go to a school at the University of North Texas with like 199 other high school students who are at a university's campus. So we have to all live together because we're all underage or whatever. Um, and my parents were going through a divorce. And so they were going through a divorce in Austin and I live in Dallas now going to school and I don't see them because they live in Austin. And so I felt, I remember feeling really helpless and I didn't know like that there was an option and I was like I feel so alone with these thoughts and these ideas and I was like I think somebody who doesn't know what I'm going through and I can just be a different like myself I can be the version of myself that's not going through this problem sort of detach from it dissociate from it maybe isn't so healthy but I went to therapy later so it's okay but um I think that's when I discovered that I love volunteering and specifically with like the youth and even though I myself am youth uh, or at the time I was youth. Oh gosh, I guess I'm not youth. <laughs> you um, at the it. time I was youth myself. Um, but I really liked working with like elementary school kids and just, and it was really cool meeting students who like were super excited about me such that they told their parents and their parents were like, I want to meet her. This is so cool. Right. And so I loved volunteering. And then I came to Cornell and for my first year, I didn't, I was like so stressed. I don't know how to be a grad student. I don't know where what any of the rubrics are. I don't know what any milestones look like. I'm like, like flailing really. Everything is so abstract. I don't know what I'm doing. And then I was like, I need to start volunteering. So I'm volunteering um, like in college, I'm volunteering with the Boys and Girls Club. But now I have a little sister from Big Brothers Big Sisters. And I feel like even though this is the semester where I'm doing a candidacy exam, I'm like going, moving more like forward in my PhD program. I still feel like, I will make time for her. I'm happy to make time for her. I'm excited to make time for her. If she ever told me like, 
I want to meet you on more than just Tuesday. I want to do something else again on the, I'm like, absolutely. Like I love being able to spend time with her. So I really resonate with the fact that like you can have a whole bunch of things to do and you can still have a really full schedule, but making space for the things that bring you joy and make you happy sometimes do look like giving yourself, like being giving of yourself to someone else or to your community. And I really, I think I really appreciate that because I don't know that I really have time to reflect when I'm with her because we're talking about the things that she wants to talk about. We're talking about school and stuff, but it is a good place to sit in to like really like intimately connect with someone who is maybe not your peer, right? It's like a really cool place to be. So I totally resonate with that. Yeah, and and that's so cool about you finding that energy by connecting with a young person. I think just to emphasize, I mean, it might go without saying, but I think that's part of the danger of just reflecting, sitting and and not taking the action or inaction uh, but rather just think, okay, I'll sit here and the answer will come to me, right? I think I'll just will myself. I need to make this decision. So let me just sit here long enough and I'll reflect on it. I actually think either things like exercise where I can lose myself in the exercise, in, in that exercise or in a human connection, whether it's uh, volunteering, tutoring or grassroots organizing, or I miss street actions and being a part of big crowds and marching down the street together. There's something very energy giving about that. And so, but without that action, I think then the reflection becomes, I think much more difficult, almost empty. What am I really reflecting on? And so I think it is important to point out that it's action reflection that has led me to new insights about, oh, this is what I should do next. And um, having the connection with folks, uh, that's where I think volunteerism, when done well, it is reciprocal, it's mutual. We're both, it's like mentoring, right? We're both benefiting from this relationship. Um, I don't need credit. I don't need to be paid that it's it's feeding me as a person, my humanity in a different way by, by being in relationship with others. And so I think there's something really powerful to that. And that's the thing to reflect on, not simply try to reflect without taking some sort of action. Um, even if that action is, you know, running a few miles uh, and then, thinking a- afterward with, with my head cleared, which used to be the case, then maybe some things might come up that I hadn't, I didn't think of beforehand. Yeah, I really love that. Cause I think at the end of the day, um, they really are like partners, maybe not two, maybe not two different sides of the same coin, but definitely partners, because what can you really reflect on if you haven't taken any action at all? And so then it does make sense that action and reflection are partnered together, which reminds me, you said something about community care versus self-care. And I don't think I've ever heard the, these two together. So I wanna learn more about that if you don't mind elaborating. It's an approach that really tries to get away from an individualistic stance to more of a collective or community stance. I often hear the term self-care and oftentimes not always that devolves into really I'm going to, um, spoil myself or uh, do something just for me, right? I want to do something just for me. Um, And so I think that's a mindset going into uh, what might be the same activity. Maybe it is a walk on the beach. Maybe it is um, some grounding or centering activities. Um, I just think it's different to think about, um, as my mentor, Tim Thomas, used to say to me, Mike, you need to take care of yourself 
because you need to be in this for the long haul. So when you have to take the time for yourself, what you're really doing is you're building your capacity to be more involved in your community. And so again, the activities may end up being the same about what I do, but approaching it as it's important for me to keep my, my batteries energized and full because I know the other people I'm in relationship and working with, each of us will need to take time out. And so each of us gets to step out of the circle while the others maybe pick up a little bit of slack. And I think that visual or way of thinking about it is very different from, I just need a week away, see y'all later, I'm done and I'm checking out. Um, and so uh, I don't know, I, I, maybe I, I'm overblowing that, but I think um, it is a, more of a way of being uh, that 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 has deep implications for the things that I do and how I think about them and what I come to know. And so um, there's actually there was a provocative article that a few years ago helped me this by an author named B. Lowe, who's an anti-racist organizer, called "The Death of Self Care." Can we stop talking about self care and really move into collective or community care? Um, because the individualism that's inherent in that way of thinking, it might be at the root of some of the problems of why I feel drained to begin with. That's really cool. I think I'm gonna ask you for the link to the article later. Um, that's like really interesting. And I don't think that I've really ever thought of, um, because even those things that you were saying that seem sort of singular, independent, isolated individual, um, you're right. If you come at it with an approach that's sort of like a really conscious compassion for yourself and for every sort of group that you're involved with, then you really are, you're like really being compassionate with yourself because you care about the groups that you're involved with and like their success and what that means to other people involved. And I don't think that I've ever really made this connection. And I really can feel like new neuropathways <laughs> being created in my brain because I've literally never made that connection before. So I guess um, the last thing I wanna touch on before we talk about like, how can we get more involved in our communities? If I'm sitting in my room, all I do is study. Most of my classes are online. So I'm always on Zoom. Um, everyone wants to meet with me on Zoom. I have group therapy on Zoom. Uh, all my Cornell health appointments are telehealth appointments, right? Mm -hmm. How do I even start like get, like, how do I even get started with um, being part of my community? Like, where would I even begin? Great question. Uh, one thing I will say is come to the Einhorn uh, hub, the Engage Cornell hub and third floor of Kennedy Hall. You can talk to staff or students there and, and, and we can find a way to connect you with community. So that's one, one action. I think that it's, it's really small actions. What will I do today? Well, should I look on this website? I think talking to someone because we can actually feel, feel each other's energy is very important. Uh, we've all spent so much time in front of computers that I think getting away from these screens and be, interacting with, with a person in, in real time, I think is super important. I, I, I do think that paying attention to where our attention is drawn. Like what's capturing my attention? Like, why is it that I keep coming back to uh, food insecurity? What is it about that topic? And so with perhaps not even having to have a deeper reason, if, if I'm feeling called by the issue, right, there's probably something there. 
And that, that, that helps a lot to narrow because there are dozens or hundreds of ways to contribute to our communities. And oftentimes it can be paralysis, you know, analysis paralysis. Oh, there's so many, I'll just give up. Um, so I think narrowing it to, on the one hand, what's the issue that I just want to try? Maybe it's a one-time search. You know, once I have that issue, oh, look, I can go on to the Einhorn Center's website or the uh, United Way of Tompkins County, and I could find a project around that issue. Uh, maybe it's just a one-time four-hour project, a commitment, a low-level commitment before I really want to commit with 10 toes. And so I think finding an entry-level day of service, um, perhaps going along with a friend, right, to their day of service, and maybe bringing your friend along if you want to come by the Einhorn Center or want to start volunteering, because then you have a buddy and you could reflect with each other afterward about how it went. Um, and I think if folks want to get a little bit more ser serious or in-depth, I should say, and want just more than one criterion, it's like issue, and then how? Like, do you want to tutor? Do you want to do some physical something with trash pickups? Do you want to do some policy work? Do you want to do some organizing? Do you want to do philanthropy? Around the same issue, right, of food insecurity, we could do all those things. And so those are the two guiding questions I often think of with, with someone who's never, say, volunteered, um, is what's the issue that speaks to you? What's the action that you think your personality, you're built around that you would want to, want to enjoy? Um, and, and I think working with kids is always a great place to start. You know, working with younger folks, they're, they're fun, they're energy giving, they'll keep you on your toes, uh, they'll make you smile and make you laugh, they'll make you laugh at yourself, um, having been a Head Start teacher for a minute, um, mo the most challenging job I've ever had. Uh, and so that would be my advice, um, if that makes sense as far as starting point, but I do think it's really important to speak with someone um, whether it's someone like you, Beulah, uh, someone, uh, a, a graduate, uh, another graduate student, someone in the Einhorn Center, um, because I think in speaking and saying the words, we actually come to some different decisions rather than just staying inside of our head and doing some website exploring. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I know that part of, I think I'm an ambivert, but I grew up thinking I was an extrovert. And I thought that because I cannot formulate or organize my thoughts in my brain. I have to get them out or they will not be organized at mm -hmm. all. So I totally agree with that. So the last thing I wanted to ask you, um, I, it, it may be difficult, I don't know, um, but just sort of what does it look like and how does it feel to hold on to hope or hold on to light whenever it's really tough? Because I mean, the issues that we have at Cornell are not, you know, uh, unknown to anyone, especially not those of us who come here, right? And so um, how do we keep care for ourselves enough inside of this, reflect enough, do whatever it takes enough so that we're safe, that we keep ourselves safe, even when it when it's really tough, like when times are really, really hard? Yes, and, and times are hard. And I actually want to refer back to what we were talking about earlier. And I mentioned my mentor, Tim Thomas. And, and Tim, even though at the time Tim had his own health concerns, he would always ask me about whether I'm taking time to exercise or meditate. And, and he, in some ways, gave me permission. I was like, Tim, do I take the time? I have this privilege. Is the, you know, do I take an hour? He's like, yes, Mike, because the fact that you can do that and you're working for justice 
we're working toward a world where everyone can do that. So keep your batteries charged so you can stay in this for the long haul. And I think it's something about the long haul, right? And so partly having someone I can call a mentor and being in relationship, it's that relationship that's so meaningful that gives me hope. It's the long haul view. And so having mentors or elders who could say to me, you went through the same thing or something very similar 30 years ago, Mike, let me tell you about that. Those two things, along with, I will say, reading inspirational biographies of change makers who have faced extraordinary odds, and whether that's you know Mandela's long walk to freedom or whatever it is that uh, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer's biography or Ella Baker's biography, of reading those and seeing what odds that person worked against and stayed in the struggle helps put in perspective for me my current struggles and where we are in this historical moment so that when I come to hope, it's not just a pie in the sky, naive sort of hope. It's what I heard recently, I think, as a, a critical hope, right? It's, it's the difference between hope and faith, where hope is I've seen it before and it can happen again. And faith is a 100% I'm going to trust in the universe. And so that even that distinction, which I learned from a dean at Berkeley when I was there, has made me more of a student of history, has made me really value my mentors, uh, and has made me see if I, if I go too long without reading a, a, a good biography or watching an inspirational biopic of, of an, an important figure, then I do start to feel that that hope is, is wasting away. And, and how many, how many pandemics are we in? I mean, you can name it, right? Is it, is it racism? Is it COVID? Is it our democracies in peril? And so finding those, those spots of light, and those are some of the ways. Um, and sometimes it's not even reading, I mentioned biographies, it's reading scholars who are laying down this amazing perspective that helps me be like, oh my gosh, I, I was thinking about this. I can't I was thinking about, the, I'll say the wrong way. Thinking about this way has helped me actually maintain some hope and, and it helps me see how maybe I was misplacing my energy. And so staying sharp with current movement uh, writers is, is something else that's very important to me. Um, and then there are folks in this community, like the, the Cal Walkers um, and the Dr. Nia Nuns and so on who are, I think, just such role models for continuing to offer that critical hope. Uh, again, having worked through some difficulty and seeing that hope is still possible because another world is possible because I've seen that world or glimpses of it in some of the service or community engagement I've done. I think that's so cool. I think it's so cool that essentially our whole conversation has really been reflecting around different perspectives. Like you can place yourself in different positions to have different perspectives. And then those different perspectives can inform your own inner dialogue and like how you take energy mm. from the world or from yourself so that you can like give it back. And I think it's really also powerful that um, I have a really great uh, PI principal investigator during my PhD. And he also like a major thing that he tells me is that this is a marathon. The PhD is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so it, it also helps me put into perspective when I'm sick a day, it's okay. I'm allowed to be sick. It's okay for me to be sick. I don't have to like make myself miserable trying to push through this because it's an entire marathon. Like one, I can actually recover from this by working 30 extra minutes a day 
uh, for two weeks. Like I, I can actually make up for it. It's not something that will have to go away. So um, I, I hope that everyone, whether you're a grad student or not, can take something from this about perspectives and like giving yourself opportunities and chances to have more perspectives because then you get a lot more activities that you get to reflect on. And then you can make a lot more decisions from there too because you have a lot, you know what options look like. And I think people, when you feel like your back is against the wall and you feel like you look around and there are no options, that's when things can look really dire. But I think putting yourself in positions where you often get different perspectives can really be helpful to preventing that. So I don't know, for me, I have reflected and learned something new. I obviously am gonna reflect and learn some more new stuff and um, keeping in touch with you, but this is so cool. And thank you so much for talking. And I hope that everyone goes to the Einhorn Center, 34th floor of Kennedy Hall. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, it was great to spend time with you. And that's what's cooking at Cookhouse. <laughs>